um, is the power of grief. And one of the things that one of the things that you talked to me about was um, when I was going through a very difficult time. When I was going through a very, very difficult time with the loss of my pastor, who was your brother, um, you, you walked me through some very dark days. Yeah. Um, and and, and um, you said something to me back then because I said to you, because I was struggling with the fact that I was mad at God. Yeah. I didn't understand it because I felt like I was just beginning to really kind of come into myself and I was really... Uh, beginning to understand understand his mentorship and then God took him and uh, I struggled with that and I was mad at God you you talked about when you were talking to your pastor one time when your I believe it was your daughter who passed and how you were angry at God go back and just kind of tell us that story so we can lay a foundation for tonight's conversation so people can just go ahead and be honest and real from the beginning. Okay. If I can if I can just tell you the <clears throat> I won't go into all of the details, but let me just tell you the story. I was 27 years old. Uh my wife and I had our first child, my oldest daughter. Uh and I was employed at Tank Air Force Base at the time and my job had sent me to of the University of Missouri at Rolla. And I'm in Rolla, Missouri. I got up that Sunday morning. Uh, I actually drove to Rolla. <clears throat> and I, I hugged my baby, hugged my wife, and I left driving to Rolla. I get to Rolla, uh, start my classes. And uh, on that Wednesday, I received a lot of phone calls. Uh, they were not calls back then. We didn't have cell phones, uh, landline phones. I received calls, and it was from uh, Children's Hospital. I returned the call, and my oldest brother, W.B. Woodbury, uh, answered the line and told me that my daughter was critically ill and I needed to come home immediately. And, of course, I couldn't get a flight. I was just going to leave my car there and fly home because it would get me home sooner. I wasn't able to do that. And so <clears throat> I had to leave at midnight, driving back to Oklahoma City. Drove back to Oklahoma City, went straight to Children's Hospital, only uh, to discover that my daughter, my only daughter at that time, was dead. Uh, she had died on my way back. <clears throat> Uh, when I got to the hospital, I was met by pastor, deacons, family members, and so forth. I went inside of a room that they took me in, and the doctor uh, that was attending, the attending physician said to me, I'm sorry, Mr. Woodbury, we did everything we could, which let me know that my daughter didn't make it. <clears throat> At that point, I fell on the floor. I was so distraught and so uh, completely overwhelmed. I fell on the, on the floor and began crying. And uh, finally, uh, they they took me home. Uh, they told me, you know, there was nothing else that I could do, so they took me home. I got home, and my then pastor, the late Dr. Dewitt Rowland, came over to my house to talk to me. 
my wife was so affected by the grief that he said to me, Dr. Rowland said to me, Mike, let's go outside so we can talk. We went outside and the first question he asked me was, are you angry? I said, yes, sir, I'm angry. He said, with whom are you angry? And I said, I'm angry at God. Uh, because I said, I know people uh, that have done all kinds of bad things to children. And here we wanted our child. We were prepared. We would have done anything to save our child. But the Lord took our child. And so I'm angry. And I'm angry with God. And I said to him, I know I shouldn't say that. And he said, why? Why shouldn't you say that? And I said, because, you know, because he's God, I shouldn't say that I'm angry with God. And he said to me, what I told you and what I've told others, he said to me something that I'd never forget. He said, if God is not big enough to deal with your anger, he's probably not big enough to be God. And, uh, and so that, that helped me in that moment, that helped me in that moment that helped me uh, began to cope with my own grief, but it, it opened my eyes to a lot of things. And I have, I've had to go back and look at that several times since then in my grief journey. Pastor, help me understand something. You told me about a book that uh, Senator Pastor George Young gave you when he was the chapel, chaplain Right. called A Gift That No One Wants. Right. You have literally, you've literally, you lost your daughter, you lost your wife, you lost your brothers and sisters, you've lost people close to you, and then you're still a pastor, and you're having to, to walk with people in the basement of despair constantly. Yeah. How in the world do you stand up and preach the gospel, my pastor? How do you stand up and preach the gospel after going through all of that? You know, and thank you for that. Thank you for asking that, Steve, because uh, that's something that a lot of people don't understand. Uh, and let me just go back to say, uh, I've actually lost two daughters. Uh, I lost my first daughter and my second daughter. Uh, both of those, uh, my first daughter I just told you about, and then my second daughter died when she was 19 years old. Uh, she had congestive heart failure, and, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, but I've actually lost two daughters. But to get to what you're talking about, and if I could help your viewers to understand uh, how traumatic it's been for me, uh, you mentioned my brother, who was not only my brother, he was my best friend, he was your pastor. Uh, the day that he died, I'd been to the hospital, he died on Saturday morning. I'd been to the hospital that Friday night, stayed pretty late, uh, left about midnight, came home, and received a phone call from uh, Stacy, his daughter. <clears throat> about three o'clock in the morning, went back to the hospital. Well, about six o'clock in the morning, uh, the doctor came in and pronounced him dead. The, the, the tragedy to me 
was that he died and I was, I mean, all of us, our whole family was severely affected. At that time, it was it was six o'clock in the morning or 6.30, something like that. And uh, <clears throat> I had to do a funeral at 10 o'clock at Unity. Uh, one of the members, uh, she's still a member there now, her daughter died. I had to do her funeral at 10 o'clock. My brother had just died at 6, 6.30, and I had to stand and do a funeral at 10 o'clock. And, and to be real honest with you, because people don't always understand, humanly, I did not know how I was going to do that. I, I, I didn't have the words. I didn't have the thought. I could not gain my composure enough to be able to do the funeral, but yet, I didn't have a choice. I knew I had to do the funeral. I was, I, I came into the funeral and it was a large funeral, uh, people everywhere. <clears throat> the late Dr. Mays that I served with uh, came to the pulpit and put his hand on my knee and said to me, son, I know you heard him, but preach this funeral. Mm. And, and, uh, <clears throat> And it was, it was difficult. I look back now and I realize, of course, you hear people say it all the time and it sounds uh, kind of cliche-ish, but it didn't have anything to do with my strength or my ability. I had to completely trust the Lord to be able to, to minister to that family, to try and comfort that family. Uh, part of what the Lord does <clears throat> is he uses your own experiences to help you to comfort other people who are in grief. And that's the only way, of course, you know, that's what the Lord uh, told us through Paul's writing in Second Corinthians chapter one. He said, God is the God of all comfort and he comforts us, but a lot of people miss this point. He said he comforts us so that we will be able to comfort others with the same comfort that we ourselves have received from the Lord. And what he tells, what I understand that to mean is that God does comfort us, but he does not comfort us so that we'll be comfortable. He comforts us so that we will become comforters. Wow. Wow. So, so Pastor, what you're saying to me is that and, and this is one of the things that, and, and y'all, I'm talking to him like I have not spoke, spoken to him, but he has been mentoring me uh, for over 10 years now and walking me through this. But one of the things that you have made clear to me is that my suffering, our suffering is necessary in order for us to really glorify God in yeah. our living. Yeah. And you know, you know, Steve, I believe that. I'm a firm believer. I tell uh, preachers like yourself and other preachers that really you cannot effectively minister to people, which is what we're called to do. You cannot effectively minister to people until you have suffered. You know, wow. we follow Jesus, okay? Uh, Jesus suffered and he left an example for us. And we cannot effectively minister to people until we've suffered. I, at one point in my life, I read a book <clears throat> that 
kind of relates to this. It's a book by Watchman Nee. Watchman Nee says in the book that the problem that he had with preachers is that sometimes we're preaching a crucified Christ and we're not willing to be crucified ourselves. Wow. In order to really preach a crucified Christ, you've got to be willing to be crucified so that you'll know what you're talking about. And and that's the way it is with grief. Uh, I've, I've preached some, I've preached some funerals and I've done quite a number of funerals. I've preached some funerals that it took everything within me to be able to get through that, but it was because of what the Lord had allowed me to go through. And he, he walked me through my journey. And so I was able to take what he did for me and share with that family. And it was a great comfort to them. So, so pastor, let me ask you something. One of the things that people struggle with a lot let, let, let's let's kind of shift just a little bit because I want our conversation right. to get deep and it's going to get difficult and it's going to be right. hard for some people to, to grasp right. really what we're getting ready to talk about right suicide yeah I've got a young brother right now young man he's 17 years old and two of his friends 16, 15, both committed suicide. Uh -huh. And he's struggling to understand. This is what he said to me. He said, Mr. Davis, um, does this mean they're not in heaven? And then he says something that threw me off. He said, we were all in the same circle. He said, is suicide contagious? That's a, that's a deep question and a deep conversation. Uh, I would like to show you something. Can you see this, Steve? Uh, this, is a, this is a brochure from a grief conference that I attend. I attend these grief conferences every year. I've been doing it for the last six or seven years. I did not attend this one because uh, of the pandemic. I did not attend this grief conference. Uh, this year, but this one dealt with suicide. And in the class on suicide, uh, which I was unfamiliar with, they say that suicide, uh, the professionals now talk about it in three different terms. They talk about it in terms of people uh, contemplating suicide, people attempting suicide, and then people completing the act. Uh, the completion of the act is when a person actually uh, takes their contemplations, uh, their attempts, and they actually succeed in their attempt and, and you know, take their own life. <clears throat> I've done several funerals of people who have committed suicide, and it's very difficult for me. One of the books that they gave me uh, in the seminar that I attended is is called uh, it's called suicide and psychological harm suicide and psychological harm uh, 
it's hard for me personally to wrap my mind around where a person is that their situation becomes so dire that they feel like that they would be better off uh, to not remain here on this earth anymore. And then all of the all of the residual effects that goes with suicide. Families, I've known families that have been torn apart for years because of a person committing suicide. And so it's been it's it's been one of those things that I, I've struggled with personally having to do a funeral of people who have committed suicide and then to try to understand I did a funeral about two years ago of a young man that committed suicide. Uh, He went to work. Everybody thought he was going to work. He sat in his car at work and uh, committed suicide, shot himself. But he left a video for the family explaining to them why he was taking his own life. And uh, so then having to deal with the mother, the brother, the other family members, it's it's a a very hard and horrendous thing to have to deal with. Uh, I pray all the time for our young people. One of the things that they told us in this class is that uh, the second leading cause of death for young people between the ages of 18 and 25 right now is suicide. And so I was curious. I said, it's the, that's the second leading cause of death? And so the facilitator said, yes. I said, well, what is the first? And they said, the first is automobile accidents. But they now believe that some of those automobile accidents were actually suicide. And so that made the numbers go up. So there's a lot of young people right now that are struggling with this thing of suicide. And and what's so uh, difficult for me is that some of them even feel justified in committing suicide. You've heard about it, and, and all of us perhaps have, that there have been young people that actually made suicide packs where they decided for whatever reason. I mean, and you know, I've, I've experienced, as you said, I've experienced some bad times, but I have never reached the point that I felt like that I needed to take or end my own life. And I'm not, I'm not putting down people that do that <clears throat> because I know that there's a lot that goes into that complex decision. Uh, I, I will say, that it makes me angry when I hear people say what you said about the young man wanted to know if people actually go to hell when they commit suicide, you know, because there's all kind of misinformation out there. There is nothing in the Bible that suggests that a person goes to hell because they commit suicide. I've had to deal with church people that came literally and asked me that question. And the Bible does not say anything uh, to support that. And so that's just misinformation. As a matter of fact, those of us that study the Bible, you and I and other uh, preachers call, we understand 
that part of the grace of God covers everything. It covers even even a person who may uh, make a decision like that. Yes, it's a bad decision, but it's still covered by His grace. And so we can't we can't say, you know, we can't just uh, cavalierly or casually say that a person ends up in hell because they made a bad decision. You know, Pastor, you just stepped into something that I got to talk about. I got to bring up. You talked about that thing called race. You and I, let me be vulnerable and transparent. Yeah. I called you yesterday emotional wreck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I was feeling bad and grieving because of a situation with a family member that I've been struggling with for years. Yeah. And you said something to me, man, that lifted me up out of the dirt. You said, Steve. Who's to say what dysfunction is? Yeah. And and you're letting what someone said dysfunction is impact you. And you said every family has issues. And That's what right. you're doing is grieving over the fact that you yeah. and your family haven't dealt with your issues. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, and, and you know, Steve, and I deal with that because I'm, I'm transparent as well. My family has dysfunction. I mean, but I've had to come to terms with that. And I cannot allow that to control what I do or how I respond. I cannot allow that to do that because of the grace that have been given to me, you know, because of the grace that God has given to me. And, you know, you and I, uh, something else, if, if you'll permit me, you and I had talked about something else because, uh, you know, Grief is not just about someone dying. That's right. Okay, grief is not just about someone dying. I have, my whole life, as I told you before, my whole life has been replete with loved ones, close loved ones dying. But that's not the only grief that I had. What people don't understand, what I need young people to understand, and what I hope you convey to the people that you work with, uh, young men especially, you know, is that there are a lot of things that causes grief in this life. And so you have to be equipped. I've, I've had grief because I had homes foreclosed. I've had grief because I've had cars repossessed. I've had grief because I've had girlfriends to leave me, you know, or quit me as they say, you know. I've had <laughs> girlfriends to quit me. And I've had grief because of that in addition to all of the other things. And so you cannot become uh, so preoccupied just thinking that grief is only gonna come when there's a funeral plan. What? Because there are many other things that can cause you to have severe grief. Um, I'm glad you went there because we need to talk about this. I, I broke this down. One of the things, the other things that, that, that again, I'm being vulnerable and transparent yeah when i went through my divorce uh i don't know the number of times you talked to me off the ledge uh 
Um, and, and I mean, and, and I mean, we, we had two or three hour conversations that went to right. one and two o'clock in the morning yeah. when I was on the phone, grown man crying uh, because of my divorce and how broken I was and how I felt like a failure and shame was just all over me, man. And you started talking to me about, you put it all in perspective when you start saying, Steve, this is grief that you're experiencing. Talk a little bit about to the people who are going through that right now. Marriage, yeah. relationships ended, yeah. marriage ended. May have been your fault, they fault. Right. But then you are stuck right now in that place. And you can't really put your finger on what it is you're feeling. But you gave it a word for me. You said, Steve, it's grief. It's grief. It's grief. Grief is that intense feeling that you feel when you have lost anything that is significant. That intense feeling that you feel, that's grief. Okay, and there are, and, and you know the sad commentary is there are a lot of people right now, even as you and I are having this conversation, there are a lot of people that's grieving that don't even know they're grieving. Are, are you with me? There are yep. a lot of people right now out there. Maybe they've had a broken relationship, and I, I have, I have some deep thoughts about relationships right now because I have never seen in my lifetime, I have never seen relationships become so fractured as they are now. It's almost to me. Uh, <clears throat> it seems almost impossible for us to get back to normalcy as it relates to relationships because relationships now are a mess and there are people who are grieving maybe nobody died everybody is doing fine everybody got a clean bill of health but they are grieving because of something to do with the relationship and they don't even know they're grieving so my question is, how do you fix something if you don't know what's wrong? You know, you, you, you can't address the problem if you don't know what the problem is. And there are a lot of people, there are a lot of people, believe me, they get up and they go to work in the morning, but they're grieving. They, they, uh, they do their laundry list, but they're grieving. They, they, they. They go through situations, but they are in grief. And I'm telling you now, that's why those of us, we have to pray. We have to pray hard for people who are grieving. Because do you realize, and we've, I'm sure we've talked about this before, it's bad enough when one individual is grieving, when you're grieving or when I'm grieving, that's bad. But can you imagine if you have a hundred people around you grieving and we know what uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross say about the stages and of course uh, David Kessler uh, one of the facilitators in this particular book or this brochure he has now written a book on the sixth stage of grief Amy Kubler-Ross uh, uh, Ross, of course did five stages of grief he has written a book on the sixth stage of grief which actually deals with uh, when you work your way to the point of being accepting of whatever your grief is. And a whole lot of people, they're working, uh, they're developing coping skills, but they have not yet made it to that sixth stage, which is acceptance of your grief. 
when you can say to yourself uh, what you just said, which is very transparent, is very honest, but is very helpful. Uh, when you can say to yourself, okay, the real issue is that I'm grieving. So only when you reach that point can you begin to fix it. Or can the Lord begin to fix it and use other people to help you fix it. But you got to first recognize that that's where you are. Pastor, can I say this? Yeah. And Because I want to, I, I, I brought you on here and I do these making of being conversations because I want people, I want, I want to help people. Yeah. I, I, I don't believe that God allows us to go through the pain that we go through just for ourselves. Right. I knew that the pain that I had, that he had allowed me to experience, that, that it would it would be used to help edify his people. One of the things that I realized in accepting what I was experiencing, why it was so hard for me, was... It made me feel weak. Yeah. And it made me feel like less than a Christian. Let me just be honest with yeah. you, okay? Yeah, yeah. I, I, it made me feel, uh, matter of fact, it, it gave me so much shame that I started drinking daily. Yeah. And I had to catch myself, Pastor, because yeah. I started drinking daily so much that I found myself grabbing a bottle before I go to my knees and ask God for help. Right. And right. It, it wasn't until I finally hit this place where I said, okay, I'm going to embrace the pain. Yeah. I'm going to sit like David in this cave. I'm going to become celibate. I'm going to stop dating. I'm going to deal with Steve. I'm going to address and look myself in the mirror and say how messed up, how diabolical, how mean, how judgmental I am, Pastor. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't until I got to that place that I was yeah. able to start climbing up yeah. out of the pit. Yeah. And I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you gave your viewers and everyone who may be tuned in tonight, that bit of transparency. You know, one of the things that, that I've had to uh, come to terms with is being less judgmental, even about people drinking. Because I realized that it might mean that most of the time the drinking is simply self-medicating. Self-medicating, that's right. Yeah, it's just self-medicating. Uh, they're doing something. They feel, they feel horrible. And so, how do I get rid of this? How do I, how do I get rid of it? I, I don't know how to get rid of it. Uh, maybe it's above my pay grade to figure out how to get rid of it. So, <clears throat> I'll do what I think, which is to just drink until I'm numb, where I don't feel anything. And so, rather than being judgmental and making, you know, uh, absolute comments about their drinking being wrong, why don't we try to deal with the issue and, and help them? <clears throat> you know, I told you the the, uh, the the passage of scripture that I just cited earlier that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, the thing that impacts me the most about that 
is the fact that he said so that that the Lord somehow got us through the journey to the point of of our being accepting of whatever it is that we've had to deal with, whether it's divorce, whether it's death, whatever it is that we've the Lord gets us to the point of being able to accept so that we can help somebody else. So that if we can't if we can't ever get to that point, if we can't ever get to so that, we can't ever help no one else. He heals us so that we'll be able to heal someone else with the same comfort that he gave us. And you know what I like, Steve, what I like about that? <clears throat> and I tell people all the time, if God wasn't judgmental with you, don't you be judgmental toward no one else. If God wasn't harsh with you, don't you be harsh with no one else. Because we're all sufferers. We're sufferers, suffering collectively. I tell people all the time, grief is universal. Grief is universal. There's not a place on this planet where people do not grieve. You can go to you can go to foreign countries. You've seen it on TV. Uh, they bomb a city and people are dead and, and, and people are grieving. Grief is universal. We all experience it. We are all unique. We might experience it in different ways, but we all experience it. And so none of us uh, have reached the point or have the right to be judgmental of no one else. All we can do is pray that God will give us the strength, the clarity, and the ability to be able to help someone else uh, just as I was helped when I was going through. And I think that's a that's a good thing. You know, I'm sure you've been able to do that. You've been able to help some other people because of what you've gone through. And I can tell you now that you would not be able to do what you're doing now if you haven't suffered, if you hadn't suffered. You would not be able to help young men if you hadn't suffered. That's just the truth. That's just the way it is. I thank God for what you're doing, but <clears throat> A lot of people don't understand. In order for you to be where you are, you had to go through something. You had to go into into the depths. You know, <laughs> you had to hurt a little bit. Let me let me let me ask you this: as we lead, I'm, as I lead towards the close here, I read a, I read a good book, and I can't remember the title. I think it is "Why Does Why Does Bad Things Happen to Good People." Yeah, and I and it and it talked about um, um, is it theocracy? Am I am I saying that right, yeah. Pastor? Yeah, yeah. So so, so so as we as we lead towards the end, because we gonna leave on a high note, right? Right, right. So <laughs> so, so so let's talk about because that's one of the questions we all have, right? When 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 we when when we go to the doctor, our parents go to the doctor, our loved ones go to the doctor, and they get the diagnosis of terminal cancer. Uh, you lost a wife and who was a great woman, who was a teacher, if I remember correctly, right, serving right. people. You, the, the one question that we ask is, God, why? They was a good person. They were, why would you do? So, so let's start kind of looking and kind of transitioning to the end yeah. about yeah. why this grief thing and why does bad stuff happen to good people? Yeah, let me, let me, uh, <clears throat> Let me say, and I'm not, uh, I, I want to be clear that I'm not uh, bragging 
on myself in any way because that's not who I am. But uh, since my wife died, my wife was an English professor, University of Central Oklahoma. She helped me a lot. And she helped a whole lot of other people. Uh, there are people that have their degree right now because she helped them. Uh, but all of the things that I have been able to accomplish is because of that loss. Okay, uh, I've, I've served as district congress president, I've served as state congress president, I've served as moderator, I've been pastoring for over 16 years. All of the stuff that I have been able to do with the Lord's help, I would not have been able to do effectively had I not gone through that. It was terrible. I mean, that was one of the uh, uh, most significant losses. I've been married for 22 years. Can you imagine? I mean, I'm just saying this, and I don't mean to shock people or disturb them, but after my wife died, after 22 years, can you imagine going and crawling back in your bed and trying to sleep all night after y'all had been together for 22 years? And, and, and you know, conversations, you know, the late night, you know, pillow talk conversations, you know how it is. And all of a sudden you find yourself getting back into your bed by yourself, knowing that nobody is going to be there but you. You wake up in the middle of the night and you can't remember this is how grief affects you. You can't remember if she's really dead or if she's just somewhere else in the house. You're in that stage between sleep and awake and, and you're confused and you can't remember. And, and, and it's really, <clears throat> it's really overwhelming. But the good thing is, the good thing is, is right now, I think about all of the people, some of whom I don't even know, that have come and talked to me because they know my story or they've heard my story. And and, and, and right now, I can say, and I sometimes uh, jokingly say this in order to keep my own sanity and to, uh, and to just get myself through, I say my wife is looking down and she's smiling because she knows that even though she had to leave, that some good came from her, uh, her journey here and, and my journey with her. Uh, and so it's, it's, it, it all works out for the good. You know, we don't understand it. It all works out for the good. It's, it's amazing how the Lord can take bad and turn it into good. <laughs> but that's what he told us he would do. He said all things work together for the good of those that, that love him and are called according to his purpose. And so I, I have I have my days. I just listened to that song earlier today. Uh, I've had some bad days, but I've also had some good days. And what people don't understand that know me and they sometimes look at me and I tell them, you know, don't, don't pity me because I'm okay. I have, I have Jesus. I have a good family support system, and I have a therapist. You don't need to ah. feel sorry for me. <laughs> you don't need to feel sorry for me. I'm okay, you know. Hey, but, Pastor, you, you just said something that I think a lot of black people, particularly pastors and preachers, run from yeah. is a good therapist. 
That's right. Why is that important for you as a pastor to have a therapist? It is. It is. It's very important because, you know, uh, when when right after I lost my wife and I was, I didn't know what I was going to do. My children had three children at the time. They were all teenagers. And I came home from work one day and they were all crying. And I thought, what in the world is going on? What am I going to do? And they said to me, they said to me, Daddy, it's too hard trying to live uh, without mama. It's too hard to try to live without mama. So we have decided that we want to die too. That's what they said to me. And so immediately I knew that I needed to get a therapist for myself and for them. And I got this therapist who's now deceased, but he, uh, you know, I say all the time, he he saved our family's life. But he told me something. He told me something that I'll never forget. He said that we are, as human beings, we are not wired to deal with multiple grief. Mm. We can pretty much handle singular grief, but when it comes in multiples, we're not really wired to deal with that. And so it's it's overwhelming. It's, it's, it's so overwhelming that uh, <clears throat> that we find ourselves in some in some unique places. Uh, normally, what happens in grief is we cry, but sometimes people have difficulty crying, and so the grief manifests itself in other ways, such as in depression or in anxiety attacks or so on. It goes on and on, you know. It manifests itself in other ways. But uh, I feel like that you need a therapist. I have, I'm, I'm blessed in a lot of ways. I'm blessed in the fact that I grew up uh, with a young man that is a practicing psychiatrist right now. And so whenever I'm feeling that way, whenever I'm getting, I know that I'm getting to that point, I call my friend, he's just like my little brother. I call my friend who's a psychiatrist. I just called him a few months ago. He was actually uh, visiting his son in Las Vegas. I called him on his cell phone, he answered. I told him what I needed and he directed me. And I, you know, he directed me to a, a therapist and I'm fine, you know, I'm fine. It's good to have that because uh, my daughter just received a, uh, a gift from one of her college friends. It was, a, it was a coffee cup. And the coffee cup says that uh, it's all right to have Jesus, but it's all right to have a therapist too. Okay, <laughs> it's all right like to that. have a therapist. So, you know, people sometimes uh, I cringe sometimes. I I was doing a I was doing a grief seminar uh, a few years ago, maybe six, seven years ago. I was doing a grief seminar at Langston OKC here in Oklahoma City. Quite a few people there, and they had a couple on just before I was to make my presentation. And the couple, the man, got up and said. Uh, he said, I hear people all the time talking about they're depressed. He said, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't be depressed. Christians can't be depressed. And so I was, I was disturbed by that. And so when they introduced me 
and I got up to start my facilitating, I said, listen, I don't mean any harm, but I need to ask the question because something was said that troubled me. I said, so <clears throat> if, a, if a Christian or someone that knows the Lord can't be depressed, then explain to me uh, what Jeremiah's problem was when he said, I'm going to quit and go home and I'm never going to preach again. Tell me what his mental state was when, when, when John the Baptist was in a dungeon and he said, go and find Jesus and asked him, are you the one or should I look for another? What was his state of mind? I think his state of mind was depressed. When, when, when David said that he was in a pit, what was his state of mind? And so I, I, don't, I don't buy into that idea that as a believer, you can't be depressed. So if you become depressed, which is not having a bad day, it is a clinical condition. If you are having depression, get you a therapist <laughs> because it's okay. That's what they were trained to do. They were trained to deal with us. And there are Christian therapists. <laughs> Pastor, man, let me tell you something. I could go all night, as you know, you and I can talk about this stuff all night long and um, it's because that you have taken time uh, well now let me go back it's because God allowed you to yeah. go through so much pain that yeah. he knew that a Steve Davis was going to come along that was going to need to hear from you um, that um, that um, you, your words have lifted me a many a times, and I know that there are people listening to this tonight who are on the verge and were on the verge of giving up. They they have been down. They have uh, their hearts are broken right now. This COVID, hey, COVID nineteen. People, yeah, yeah. you told me this the other day. You said, Steve, people are grieving because of the pandemic. That's right. They are. They are, and we're in a. Even, I have to admit, even myself, we are in a strange place because of this pandemic. People are more irritable. That's right. uh, people have been quarantined. They're getting on each other's nerves. You know, and all of that are really just triggers for our grief. You know, they're triggers for our grief. We find ourselves uh, having some strange thoughts, but it's all because of what we're going through right now. And even, you know, I don't... <clears throat> I refuse to go political, but even what we're going through politically, you know, when you're uncertain about who your next president is going to be and all of the stuff that's going on, it affects you. It affects you. It affects you, you know, and so, and so there's a lot for us to look at. There's a lot that people need to know. I wish that there were actually, you know, I have sought out and made the, uh, uh, was just determined to find ways to learn more about grief. But, you know, really, they don't really offer any classes or anything on grief. Uh, we've offered a few in the district and in the state and stuff like that. But there are a lot of people that need to know more about this matter of grief because it's complex. And it has, it has so many branches and it, it reaches out in so many different directions. And... Uh, I especially feel sorry for young people, which is a whole 
another topic in itself. We need to understand how young people are being affected in our culture. Even right now, you know, I, 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 I have thoughts. One of the things that, that troubles me, we talk about how the pandemic is affecting people, but it's not just affecting adults, it's affecting young people. Before the pandemic started, one of the things that I did at my church is that I always uh, gravitated to the young people and I'd hug them and they'd hug me. Sometimes they would be, you know, like pushing and shoving to get up to me so that they could hug me, you know. But since the pandemic is, is here, they can't hug me. So they are affected by that because of social distancing. They can't hug their pastor. I'm like their, somebody that they look up to. I'm like their grandpa or, or something, you know, and, and now they can't hug me, you know, and they are being affected. And, and you know, all of us are being affected. And so it is something that I wish and I hope that people can continue. And I think that what you did here uh, tonight is great. More people need to be exposed to not only the the deep hurts, but they need to be aware of the fact that even though you go through deep hurts, God will never leave you alone and he will always bring you out better than you went in. God will always do that. He'll, he'll always bring you out better than you went in. One of the things that helped me, helped me tremendously, uh, the late, uh, uh, Dr. H.A. Walker, pastor, the first pastor of Truvine Baptist Church. Truvine used to be, before it is where it is now, it used to be out where we lived in Spencer. And uh, we knew Pastor Walker from the time that I was a little boy, me and my brother Glenn. We used to have to walk to school. We'd have to walk through the parking lot of Truvine and we'd talk to Pastor Walker. And so when my wife died, I was at a visiting church. Pastor Walker came up to me and said, son, he said, I understand you lost your wife. I said, yes, sir, doc, I did. I said, uh, she passed away. She had colon cancer. And, uh, she finally lost the battle. She passed away about a month ago, two months ago. He said to me, son, I want to tell you something. He said, God, doesn't ever demote you, he only promotes you. And he said, it might look like a demotion right now, but in the end, it will be a promotion. Okay, <laughs> and so you have, to, you have to understand that you might have to go through some tough times, but if the Lord is with you, not only will he bring you through, but he'll bring you through better than you were at first. God is good, isn't he? Pastor, I want us to end. That's the perfect place to end. And before we end, I think that it's important that you close us out in prayer. All right. There are some people that need to feel uh, the healing touch of God's word on their life right now, who are fighting, who are struggling in so many yeah. different ways. So go ahead and end us in prayer. All right, thank you. Our Father and our God, we come now first, Lord, to say thank you. Thank you for who you are and who you allow us to be. 
Thank you, Lord, for never leaving us and for always being there for us. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you are a comforter. We thank you that you give us peace that passes all understanding. We thank you, O oh Lord, that at the times we need it most, we remember what you said in your word, that God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we can ask or even think. And so, God, we thank you because of who you are. We thank you because we, uh, you have allowed us to be called your children. And so, Lord, we know that no matter how dark it gets, no matter how the storm clouds might roll in, that you're right there with us and you never leave us uh, and you never forsake us. We thank you, O oh Lord, most of all, for sending your son, Jesus, to take our place and to die in our place. It should have been us, but he died in our place so that we would have the rights to the tree of life, so that we would have a home in heaven. So, Lord, when this is all over, we know that earth is not our home. When the pain gets too great, he's prepared a place for us on the other side where every day will be a day of rejoicing. Thank you because of who you are. Thank you for this conversation. Lord, we pray right now for those people who are grieving. There are people right now that are grieving. Over half a quarter of a million people uh, because of the COVID have lost loved ones. And then there have been people died for other reasons during that same time period. Lord, we ask right now that you would comfort them. If there's anyone going into this season, this holiday season, grieving, we ask that you would grant them a touch from the master's hand. Give them that comfort that they need in this crucial hour. We ask, O oh Lord, that young people who may be grieving and don't even know they're grieving, we ask that somehow you would navigate the circumstances to get them in touch with someone who can help them with their grief because we know that you help us so that we can help others. And so, Lord, we pray that you would, you would, you would begin healing right now. Thank you. Thank you for Steve. Thank you for the making of men. Thank you for the young men whose lives have been touched and for those that are yet to come whose lives will be touched. Thank you for all that you do and for all that you're going to do. Lord, we'll always remember to give you praise, honor, and glory in the matchless, mighty, and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Pastor, thank you. Folks, it's my prayer that something was said tonight yeah. that you would just chew on, um, that you understand that, that there are better days coming. Yeah. Even if it, you can't see it right now, even if you can't feel it right now, I want you to know I'm looking straight in this camera and I want you to know that God has not forsaken you. That's right. Pastor just said, he just said, God ain't demoting you. He's yeah. promoting you. Yeah. And that promotion does require some pain. That's As right. always, my friends, serve, care, yeah. and 